Hey Food Bizwizzes, it's Gabby here, and I'm the Student Success Coordinator here at Food Bizwiz in Regional Reading. This week, we thought we'd do something a little bit different on the podcast. Our friend, Janaba Johnson-Jones, recently invited Ali to join her on her podcast, the Food Means Business Podcast. That means that in this episode, you'll hear Ali as the interviewee. Woo! Along with being host of the podcast, Janaba is the founder and CEO of Hudson Kitchen. Janaba founded Hudson Kitchen, an incubator kitchen in New Jersey, after facing multiple obstacles and trying to start her own food business. The challenges and pain points she encountered inspired her to pivot and provide a place where other emerging food brands could build successful businesses with lower risk. Janaba has tons of experience and asks Ali some great questions. Listen in to hear Ali and Janaba chat about how considering psychographics, along with demographics, is important for knowing your target audience, what one thing your sales emails absolutely need is, and why it's so important to follow up on your sales emails and calls. Without further ado, let's get started. I'm Allie Ball, former grocery buyer and retail store manager turned wholesale consultant. In my role on the retail floor, I saw delicious, values-driven brands fail on our shelves simply because they didn't understand the the behind-the-scenes of wholesale. I created the Food Biz Whiz podcast to give you hard-to-access insight from my career in the food industry and the tools and strategies to help you succeed on retail shelves. If you're a committed food founder who's looking to create and grow a packaged products business that positively impacts our food system, puts wealth back into your own hands, and employs members of your local community, you have found the right podcast. Let's do this. You are listening to Food Means Business, a podcast featuring personal stories and secret ingredients behind what it's like to abandon your day job to start a food business. I'm Janaba Johnson-Jones, former marketing executive turned entrepreneur and founder of food business incubator Hudson Kitchen. Join our community of fellow food business owners and subject matter experts to learn and laugh with us as we explore a startup world that's a little more culinary and a lot less corporate these days. All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Food Means Business Podcast. I'm here with Allison Ball. Do you go by Allison or Allie? You can call me Allie. Okay, Okay. sounds good. I'm here with Allie Ball um, of Food Biz Wiz. And um, Allie, give us a little bit of information about yourself. As you know, this podcast is all about some, uh, you know, uh, reaching someone that is ready to take the leap from the cubicle to becoming a CEO. So we'd love to hear your story first. Yeah. So I took that leap eight years ago, actually. I used to be a grocery buyer, a wholesale grocery buyer here in San Francisco at a wonderful family of businesses called Byrate Market and Byrate Family of Businesses. And I did that for a long, long time, long, long time. (laughs) And eight years ago, I decided that I had learned enough in my role at Byrate and I was ready to launch my own business. So left Byrate and became the founder and CEO of Food Biz Wiz, where we help emerging food, beverage, taxable grocery brands understand what it takes to land on wholesale shelves and have high sales once they're there. Fantastic. Fantastic. So I have to ask, what made you decide that it was time to take the leap? Mm, that's a great question. So a few things. First off, when I started at Byrite, I was working at our sole location at the time, Byrite 18th Street. And my job was 
grocery buyer. So I was working directly with producers and figuring out how to help them succeed on our shelf. So, you know, it goes way beyond getting on yes. the shelf. The The main goal is that we've got these, got to get these products off the shelf and really um, increase basket average and increase sales in our categories. And I, I loved that role. I loved finding those up and coming producers. Byright was really, really focused on having a, a unique product assortment. So, so often our market was the very first account for up and coming producers. So I loved nurturing them and teaching them what it would take to, to work on our shelves and got so much pride out of that role. And then we decided to open Byrate to Visit Arrow, our second location. And that was about three miles away, still in San Francisco. And my role shifted. I became head of grocery and store manager of that wow. new location. And in that, yeah, it was, it was wild. We, <laughs> we did about $7 million in our first year of opening. Amazing. I managed a department. Thank you. I managed a department that was about 3,500 SKUs. So really looking at, at item movement of those SKUs week in and week out. And you know, what I'm alluding to is that my responsibilities really changed and I became less connected with the producers and more focused on the financial health of the grocery department. And that, that was eye-opening. I mean, you yes. know as well as I do that margins are <laughs> slim in the food yes. industry. And it was really, it was, it was so important for me to have that firsthand experience of looking at a PL weekly and realizing that that stuff was slim and we really had to be so intentional with every moving part of our business and our store to make sure that we were a profitable business. So that gave me a lot of great education. However, I missed working with producers. I really, I really missed the whole reason why I got into the food industry to begin with. And so I saw, if I'm being very honest with you, I saw the path forward at Byrate, that person who's up, who was yep. above me, who's still a very <laughs> dear friend of mine. He's still at Byrate actually. And I was like, I don't, I don't want that job. I'm already working on the floor 50, 60 hours a week. My husband was actually managing Byrate 18th Street, uh, my fiance oh, wow. at the time. Yeah. So we were just like <laughs> in it, right? Like I was managing DeViz, Ian was managing at 18th Street and we would just come home and we would sit at the table and I would say, you know, oh, I re-merchandised this section and this is really working for me. And he said like, oh, well, I did this and like this is working over here. <laughs> and we were just like living, breathing by, right? And, you know, thank goodness it was such a wonderful company to work for that we we were all in. But I looked above me and I and I thought, you know, that's that's not really what I want. Right. Right. I respect that and it's not for me. So I decided that, you know, after, gosh, I had been at Byright probably six years or so that I had, I had the skills to take what I learned on the floor there and have a bigger impact in the food industry by turning to, to a consultant role, uh, knowing that I could only impact people within the walls of Byright if I stayed there. And by launching on my own, I could have such a greater impact in our industry. It's, I have to, I, I'm sure you share this, like it is so much fun working with the individual food businesses, getting to know the owner. Um, and, and, and for me, it's like getting to know their employees and their production staff as yeah. well. And like seeing a business grow, it is 
so exciting. It's so exciting. <laughs> and the really cool thing is that I have a couple producers with whom I worked at Byright 18th Street, that, that original location in, I don't know, 2009, 2010, who then hired me as a consultant and yes. joined us in Retail Ready <laughs> and now is doing one-on-one -on -one coaching with me. I have people, you know, with whom I've worked for, like, I don't know, closely, I don't know, 12 years, 13 years. Yeah. And it is so cool to see them having started with one single retail account, buy rate market. And now here they are, multi-million dollar businesses. It's really spectacular. I just love it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And congratulations yeah. to you and Thank all that you. you've been able to accomplish so far is so great. So let's talk about how we get our products onto the stores, uh, into yeah. the stores and onto the shelves and how we make them fly off the shelves. <laughs> <laughs> if only we what could summarize it in like one podcast right. episode, right? It's crazy. So I, I recently read one of your email. I'm on, on your newsletter list. Okay. It's amazing. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, and one of them talked about um, uh, your one of your clients had an aha moment with mm. um, and kind of really realizing kind of what was the most important thing that was going to inform all the decisions that they make about their business. Can yeah. you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. And you're actually mm -hmm. going to test my memory here because <laughs> <Okay>. I, <laughs> I'm going to tell you. I can you remind go. you. I'll remind you. Yeah, exactly. Here you go. This is a sneak peek behind my business and I am all about being transparent. So I'm going to, I'm going to lay it out to you. I batch my emails. Oh. And so I sit down. <laughs> no, and I'm going to, I give this advice to, to our yes. retail ready students too. So I sit down and I'm like, okay, I am in a, the headspace for writing. I'm going to write a month's worth yes. of emails at once. Yes. And then yes. I pre-schedule them and they're like ready to go. Right. Um, and I do that <laughs> so that Monday morning doesn't come around and I'm like, oh shoot, got to crank something yep. out. Yes. Got to like find a nugget yes. of wisdom, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I'm going to peel back the curtain and say, sure. you're going to have to remind me exactly sure. what that aha so, moment um, is. And I, I'm betting, I, I'm betting I know what it is, okay. but you, do you tell me? <laughs> <laughs> so it was, um, it, it was, um, something that's actually near and dear to me and something that I talk to people about as well is like knowing who your target audience is. And, and uh. that is really going to really informs all of the decisions that you make about yes. your business. Yes. Okay. I know exactly what email this was. <laughs> and it was the one where I basically did like a laundry list of decisions that this foodpreneur yeah. had to make in their business and how with this one magic thing, it made all of the other decisions easier. So if you find yourself thinking like, should I go to Expo East in September? Should I serve you know, should I put my adaptogen mix in individual <laughs> pouches or in an eight ounce pouch where yeah. they have to scoop it out every day? Should I put my product on sale for 20% off or should I do a buy one, get one free, right? All of these decisions become so much easier once you identify your target audience, yes. right? Yes, that was yes. the email, huh? Yes, that was it. Okay. So that is the that is foundational in your food business. Yeah. And it really ties into one of the things that that we preach is this right people, right channel theory. And it is the idea that when everyone is your target audience, you are speaking to no one, right? Agreed. And we all yes. know this. Yes, yes, those, we do. Those we do. brands that just like, you know, we, we know it, but we think that like we're the special snowflake. <laughs> 
that, that everyone's going to love away. us. Yes, yes. Exactly. Like, oh, my, my, everyone who tries my product says they love it. Yes. So my product's for everyone. Yes, yes, yes. Right? <laughs> It's, it's, it's not true. <laughs> and so what what we really preach here is that, you know, once we can get past our ego that says our product is for everyone and we can narrow down and say, who is our product? Who is our product most right for? And what is that emotional connection that that person has right. with our brand? Right. Then we can start developing our channel strategy. And here's really where where things have shifted over the past couple of years. Janaba, I think that this is really interesting. Historically in marketing, we would talk about demographics, yep. right? Like this is an Asian woman who is between 35 and 42 years old. Sure. And she has this income and this number of kids and right. all of that sort of stuff. And what's really cool is as we think about building more inclusive businesses, we've shifted this and we focus much more on the psychographics and that emotional connection that we're making with our target audience. So I don't care if your target audience audience is a 42-year-old Asian woman or right. an 80-year-old black man or right, right, right. a 16-year-old white lady, right? Or white teen. <laughs> uh, what I really care about is why are they so passionate about my brand? Why are they singing my praises from the rooftops? What problem am I solving for them? And like, what is that like emotional sigh of relief or joy or excitement or right. whatever it is right. about my product line. So we get really, really clear on that first. And then we're able to say, okay, an audience who is seeking that emotion or that experience is already shopping in this particular channel. Right. They're already looking for that emotion, that experience in this location so, or this, and that, this channel. That channel right? could be a website. That channel could be Amazon. That channel could, could be their local natural food store. Totally. Okay. That channel could be their yoga studio. Yeah. That channel could be like a convenience store on the way to pick up their kids from school. Right. Right. You know, I think about where, where we need to identify like where that person feels that problem or that need so acutely. Like I think about um emergency mm -hmm. that drink oh yes 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 brand yes. you know like the powdered yeah. drink packets yeah. from <laughs> way long ago. <laughs> and think about their their strategy of being placed in airport yep. stores like the airport yeah. the Hudson News yep. of the world is so spot it's such a spot on example here because it's like where do people need that boost of confidence yes. that they are getting like a healthy kick from their powdered drink mix. Right. It's likely as they're traveling. Yes. It's right before they're getting on that airplane. Right. No, and single serve, it's super convenient. Yep. So we've identified the pack size because of our target audience. Right. We've identified where we're going to sell and we're identifying like what is that thing we're giving them. It's probably confidence, relief, reassurance. Right. That's what we're really selling to that person. So if I took that emergency packet mm -hmm. and I tried to sell it at, hmm, let's say, um, I tried to sell it food service right. in restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to flop, right? Like, I've never gone to a bar and been like, hey, <laughs> along with my Negroni, I'd like an emergency too, please. I had I mean, this actually. I I had this image of it like being in the bathroom with like the 25 cent thing on it. 
Oh my god! I actually, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna like wind this back here and say that like uh, the founders of Emergency, whoever you are, if you are listening to this podcast, I think that um, we just came up with your new sales strategy because I don't know about you, but the, a packet of an emergency at like you know, with my last round at a bar could be a key move here. <laughs> oh my goodness. So what what else would you say is the most important thing? Because, you know, obviously target yeah. audience, but let's talk about like, yes. what is the next most important thing that... Um, okay. That so we ide- identify our target audience. We figure out what sales channels we're going for, right? Are we going online? Are yep. we going brick and mortar? Are we going food service? Where are we going here? And then we have to figure out what is the real reason why that wholesale buyer, why that decision maker is going to say yes to our product line. And this is typically where people have an aha moment inside of Retail Ready, Mm -hmm. where I'm sure, I'm sure founders that you work with all think that their product is delicious. They all think that their product is the best ever, right? Right. And so typically, and I would hear this as a grocery buyer, typically those sales pitches are led with, with those facts right. or those opinions, right? right? Like my, like, Hey, my name's Lauren and I make the most delicious kombucha that you have ever tried. Right. And as a wholesale buyer, I hear that pitch and sure enough, my eyes kind of roll. In my head, and I'm thinking like, yeah, Lauren, you and everybody, everyone you and else, every other yes. kombucha maker who pitched else. to me this yes. week, yes, right. <laughs> if by the time you're pitching to wholesale accounts, the baseline is that you are a deli- delicious product, right? So that's not your selling point. So we've really got to understand. We've really got to switch it on its head here and understand why buyers say yes or no to the product lines, and typically that is. It's because, excuse me, wholesale buyers want to increase sales or margin in a particular category. So let's say that you are a cold brew coffee producer Mm -hmm. and that buyer is evaluating your product for their shelves. That buyer has to be convinced that by bringing in your cold brew, you are going to outpace the other products, the other cold brews or iced coffees that are already in your category on their shelf. So if you come in or if I as a buyer come in (laughs) and I say, yes, okay, I'm going to bring in your your cold brew, but you don't outpace what I already have on the shelf, it's officially not worth it for me to spend all of my time, energy, labor, you know, mental energy (laughs) to put that product on on my shelves. It's just not worth it. So we've got to think about that when we design sales strategy. Okay. Think about it when we design sales pitches, right? So for your listeners, I really want you to think about how am I presenting my sales pitch to help that buyer meet their goals? Like, what are the words that I'm saying? What am I reflecting on my sell sheet? What am I saying in my follow-up emails that makes that buyer so confident that I am going to help them achieve their goals of higher margin or higher sales. So what are what are some examples of things that as as a grocery buyer with you that kind of caught your eye and said, okay, this is really interesting. Like you knew there was a category that you know you were looking to grow within your yeah. within your stores. So there's like you said, there's a million, you know, kombuchas in the world. What makes you choose that one 
that one yeah. product? Okay. It's, it's a great, that's a great question. So first off, it's important to remember that buyers love data. They're numbers people. Like mm. at the end of the day, the buyer's goal is to, like I said, have high sales in their category. And so we, we, I keep saying we, like I'm, I'm still a buyer here, but, but we, but that's, the, that's what's so, that. that's what's so we. great about you and your business is that you say we, when someone says we to me, that means like we're all in it together, even though I kind of know we're not, like it feels really good. So go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. We, we as wholesale buyers, um, our job is to increase sales, right? So we look at item movement. We do category reviews. We're looking sure. at sales data to understand the health of our departments. So we are data people through and through. And so what I want to see from a sales pitch is data. So that might be something like, you know, I'm in an email here or on, mm -hmm. on a phone call. Sure. Allie, we move on average four and a half cases a week in independent stores in the 94110 zip code. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's my zip code. I know in other stores that are similar to mine in specialty or independent, right. you are moving on average 4.5 cases a week. That is music to my ears because I'm like, oh, shoot, that's that's great movement. Like, let's try to replicate it on our shelves. So data like that. That's and good. so typically this is the pushback that I get, right? Sure. Allie, I'm, I'm just getting going. I don't have any data. I don't have sales history. Like, what the heck do I do now? Well, I, there are many, many ways to get data. Okay. And if you can prove that your category as a whole or that your product attributes are trending, there you go. Use that, right? So let's say uh, I see. it's two years ago, right? And you're like, okay, I make a turmeric lemonade. You can say like, hey, Allie, turmeric sales, there are products with turmeric as their main ingredient, and I'm making this up, sure. are up 22% year over year for the past three years. We can see that shoppers are interested in this root for all of its health benefits. Our hero product is a turmeric lemonade. Right. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Does that make sense? Yes. That makes total sense. Right. So like, and it can be stats from anything. Like, I will, you know, I'll tell you that buyer is not going and like researching and like fact checking that your stats are accurate. And not that I'm saying like, do not invent your stats. But if your stats are from Women's Health Magazine, that's totally fine, right? You can say mm. Women's Health Magazine says that turmeric products are interesting to 56% of millennial women, like, go for it. So, okay. So now, so we've figured out who our target audience is. We yep. identified um, retail outlets that could make sense for our, yep. our product based on the type that based on our target audience and based on the needs yep. of, of the buyer. So now I'm ready to, I'm reaching yep. out to the buyer. So, so as you, yes. so I, I'm this person and I have my turmeric lemonade or <laughs> whatever product <laughs> we want to have. And now I'm ready to talk to you and I want you to taste it. And I want you to know all about it. So like, what do I do next? Yes. I've got one thing that is really specific advice. I want you to pick up the phone and call the store. Really? I think, yeah. No one does that. <laughs> I do. <laughs> no one does that. No one does that. And here's why. You know, like we're all afraid to talk on the phone nowadays, right? And it is astonishing to me 
how much success our retail ready students have by picking up the phone. Because it is, you know, it's so easy to ignore emails. It's so easy to be overwhelmed by your inbox, right? That, sure. that buyer, that buyer can click delete on your email in a heartbeat. Sure. It is so much harder to ignore a phone call right? And the thing that we want to do is make that connection. We want to make sure that that buyer sees you as that trustworthy, dependable brand. And so if you can make that voice to voice connection, that is the first step in making it happen. So we call the store. Okay. We go through our sales pitch and all of that. Oftentimes you'll get voicemails and stuff like that. Like Truth be told, it it can be hard to track down these buyers, but we are tenacious people. We are going to do that, (laughs) right? And then you likely could get to this point where you're like, okay, cool. Once the buyer tries my product, they're going to be hooked. So you likely think that I, that you just need to swing by with your samples. Right. Right. I'm sure you hear this all yep. the time at buy right folks would swing by. I literally, gosh, I would probably get three dozen samples a week. Really? Just wow. Just swinging, swinging by. by. Yes. Wow. It was such a pain in the butt. And I would do, I mean, I am a very nice person, but I would do everything that I could to avoid getting interrupted in the middle of my workday by producers who were just swinging by with samples, right? Mm -hmm. So that included like hiding in the walk-in, pretending to be on a phone call, (laughs) ducking around the corner really quick. Like I would, we would hide, like buyers hide from you. (laughs) It's true. And, but just think about it, right? Like imagine if you're in the middle of a production shift and someone walks on by and is like, hello, would you like to look at these new compostable cups that I'm trying to sell you? Like, no, (laughs) No. I'm in the middle of a production shift. No, no, thank you. Go away. (laughs) Lock at my door. And so it's the same thing goes for buyers. They don't want to be interrupted in the middle of their workday. And so, so two things here. One, we always set a day and a time to drop off samples. Okay. We're not right. just blind swinging by, right? We are being courteous people who respect the buyer's time. So no swinging by. This isn't even a COVID thing. Like I have said this for Oh, forever. Okay. Years. Okay, great. Got forever. it. Forever. Got it. Do not swing by. Don't <laughs> just be courteous. Like don't interrupt someone's work day. Right. You set a date and time. And what happens though is so often people think, okay, I'm just going to blind ship these samples to the store. I'm going to address them to the buyer or I can't get a hold of the buyer. So I'm going to go and I'm going to drop off these samples and I'm going to leave them with that like lovely cashier who promises that they're going to be handed to (laughs) the grocery buyer. And here's the problem with that. You're laughing. You probably know what's going to happen, right? But let's say you make like really beautiful chocolates. You give them to the cashier and that cashier is like, man, these chocolates look beautiful and I don't have a birthday present for my girlfriend next week. Yes. These are coming home with me. Yes. You know, and I say this like, you know, knowing that cashiers have the best of intentions. <laughs> right. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not um, trash talking cashiers, but, <laughs> you know, in the best case scenario, your, your products are so delicious that of course that cashier of wants course. to bring them home. Of course. Or that, or that cashier can't find the grocery buyer. Right. They try to find them and they can't, or that somehow they end up in the staff break room. Or the worst thing, mm-hmm. the worst thing that can happen is that they end up in the grocery buyer's sample box. And this is something oh. that nobody talks about, <laughs> but literally every retail store that I have worked with 
has a sample box. And basically what it is, is like a dusty, overflowing cardboard box that lives somewhere in backstock near the grocery buyer's desk. And samples just get like tossed in there day in and day out. And, and what's, what's, a, what's the likelihood of someone going, oh, I think I'm, I'm looking for a new hummus. I think I'm going to dig through the box. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> you may have, I'm not sure if you've gotten this email from me yet. I'm not sure. It depends like where you are in my like, email sequence, but I have a story. And this is actually one of the, this was like a turning moment for me at Byright. I went to pull down the sample box and it was, uh-huh. it was, it was so ridiculous. We yeah. kept it on a high shelf above the <laughs> desk and I pulled it down and we had one sample box that was refrigerated samples and one sample box that was shelf stable sa- samples. And I pulled the box down and rancid milk poured all over oh, my no. body. No. It was <laughs> awful. And I remember in that moment just being like, I do not get paid enough for this job. Like, I'm done. <laughs> and I was just like, someone has to spread the the like word of the sample box to these producers. Yes. And, you know, to like wrap it up here, realizing that when your products get put in the sample box, they get separated from your sell sheet. They get opened and snacked on by hungry staff who are right. just like looking for some snacks. Right. They get crumbled. They get... You know, certainly not how you want your precious products to be presented to that buyer. And at Byrate, we would sit down and we would go through that sample box, you know, every three, four months, depending on how busy we were. And so, like, that can be a – if you've got a (laughs) three-week shelf life, you can't afford to wait three months for that grocery buyer to try your product. Not at all. And so I, like – this this is why something as innocent as leaving your products in that like brown craft bag with the cashier can really be detrimental to your brand because you don't know if the buyers ever received them. You don't know if they've tried them. You don't know if they're sitting in the sample box somewhere else. You don't have enough information to make a conscious wise next step in your sales pipeline because you literally don't know where your samples are. Right. Wow. So okay, don't so- do that. So connect with that buyer. <laughs> so do not do that. Them, <laughs> do not do that. Hand the samples directly to them. You know, real quick. Yep. Don't take up. Don't expect to taste with them. You know, don't expect anything beyond here are my samples. Here's my sell sheet. I will follow up with you next week. So great. So and now it's it. time it's time for me to follow up now. So I yeah. what do I do? Yes. How am I how am I doing this? Yes. Where I'm gonna get a response. I'm actually gonna get a response. Like yes. what happens? <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So we've got this is actually one of my favorite things about retail ready. We have something called scripted success. And it's literally a flow chart of, you know. Email one, if they open it, if they don't, if they respond, like take this path, this path, yep. this path. And we've got it all like templatized here. Love so that. first off, I'll say, I love, yeah, I love systematizing things. So if you're just getting started with this, do yourself a favor and make templates. So again, you're not reinventing the wheel in every step of the process. Sure. But what you want to do is you want to send that follow-up email that has your sell sheet and your price list attached to it, and some really brief bullets about why your product is the right fit for their store. And then, here's the kicker. (laughs) Then 
You want to make sure that email ends with some sort of call to action for the next step with the buyer. And typically what, what I see is brands will say like, you know, here's my sell sheet price list. Here's all my great information. Have a great day. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> Signing off. Instead of. Lauren. Instead, instead of. of what asking for Would the business. Would you like to write a first order <laughs> yes. or when can I deliver a first yes. order or I can offer an introductory promo yes. for the next for orders placed within the next 21 yes. days. Yes. You seem to be really interested in the blueberry flavor. Can I write that first order for you? Ask for the right? business. Ask for the sale. Yes. Ask for the business. Yes. That's like the the number one thing. If if people take nothing away from this episode, <laughs> ask for the business and your sales will increase. But then from there, <laughs> yes. Typically, like the next complaint we hear from producers mm-hmm. is that buyers just ghost them and they express interest in your product and they say yes, and then we never hear from them again. Right? Right. And I'll tell you. It's really important as a producer to understand all of the steps that it takes to bring a product to the retail shelves. So there's so much work on the back end that has to be done in order to get to that final stage of selling the product. And so typically what happens is that buyer expresses interest, like, and genuinely, like we can trust them. They're not going to lead you on, right? They are interested in your product, but there's so many moving parts that they've got to sort out before they can place that first order. So we want to make sure that as a producer, you are emailing them or connecting with them every few weeks to stay top of mind with them. And so I actually have, um, so it's like one of two ways, right? Either they'd say yes, and they kind of wait and figure out things behind the scenes, or they say no, right? Or no, or they, you never hear back from them again, Right, right? right, right? And so it's, there's two different, two different uh, paths that we can take here depending on what it is. But I want to tell you, I've got two stats that are really, really crazy. And these are both pulled from HubSpot, which mm-hmm. is a CRM that sure. we we recommend in, in Retail Ready. So HubSpot says that 60% of customers, so 60% of these buyers, they're your customers, say no four times before they say yes, whereas 48% of salespeople never make a single follow-up attempt. That is crazy. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. So right? just the f- and so yes, that's so crazy. Just the follow up. <laughs> just the follow just up. the follow up. So you know, and so forty eight percent of salespeople never make a single follow up attempt. So I mean, that's basically half, right? right? So half of you listening, <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to challenge you and say, if you don't follow up after that initial no, or if you just never get a response, you are leaving money on the table for sure, right? So that said, sixty percent. of your sales leads say no four times, or they're going to ghost you four times before they say yes, right? So that's the first thing. We want to make sure that we've got that follow-up sequence in place so that it becomes automatic. That's also one of the things, one of the reasons why I love having templates, because it takes that emotion out of 
what should I say? Am I annoying? Like, should I do this? Like, there's all, there's so much like drama that we make up. Because, in our yeah, minds we do. It, we that, totally, it's totally in our heads right? and we know it, but we, I, I'm, I, and I even, I'm guilty of doing that as yeah. well. <laughs> oh, me too. Me too. <laughs> me too. So, like, we want to make sure that you are just templatizing everything. And so that when you sit down, I mean, it's kind of like what I admitted to at the beginning, yeah. sitting down in the headspace of writing, email writing, yep. that you craft the most ideal emails and you've got them ready to roll, ready to customize a bit and ready to roll. And then I've got another stat to share with you here. 80% of sales require five follow-up calls and 44% of salespeople give up after one follow-up call. So same sort of thing. 80% of sales require five follow-up calls. It's because- So if you're stopping- yeah, they're, yeah, they're yeah. so busy. They're busy. You they're, you're not the only person that they're co- you're contacting. Their totally. boss may have given them another priority or some some other some something else to go for that's more important than to- than you at the moment. So like you just totally. we're all people. <laughs> we have different priorities. Yes. So just follow up. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's something like there's something that's really freeing about recognizing that sales is service yes and that by following up you are doing that wholesale buyer a favor right i had so many times when i would have producers follow up with me and i would say oh my god thank thank you yes. so much for for calling me i have to admit like i lost your business card or i've been out sick for the past week exactly. or whatever it is right. like, thank you so much for coming back on my radar yes i'm ready to place an order that, yeah, so that's amazing. That's amazing. Following yeah. up, it's so it's such a small thing, but such a such a large such a large thing. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to switch gears here here a little bit, and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll edit this out. But um, so I wanted to talk to you about what you're celebrating. So we have what we call the money yeah. bell at Hudson Kitchen, and so whenever someone has something exciting to celebrate, they ring the bell. It's kind of in our lobby. So I'm wondering, what are you ringing the bell about this time to, recently? <laughs> Gosh. Well, okay. Can I give two things? Sure. Okay, cool. We do a lot of celebrating here at Food Biz Wisdom. Okay, like, good. let me look at my, li- my list of celebrating. I love this. Okay. The A big, big thing is that I just got back from nine days of being on vacation completely off email. You mean and really on vacation? A, like really real vacation? I didn't bring my computer. I purposefully took Instagram off my phone (laughs) and I went to a place that didn't have cell service. And so I set myself up, you know, I I put myself in the environment where I wouldn't be working. But beyond that, I've, I've built a team. We're a team of four and a team of contractors beyond that, four employees, team of contractors that do who I trust so much. And I knew that nothing was going to be so, you know, so important that I needed to be on email or on Slack or on Instagram during the week of my vacation. So that was a really, really big win. It's taken me eight years of being in business to get to this (laughs) point. Um, But that it feels like a really big win. And it really um, brought me back with with you know, a refreshed enthusiasm for my business. That's amazing. So that was, that's a big, big win for that's me. That's huge. <laughs> and then the second one, 
The second one, I am just completing a 200-hour leadership coaching certification program. Wow. And I will sit for my exam next month. And all signs point to my <laughs> passing this exam. You know, you'll have to follow up with me in a month from now. Will, but <laughs> 200, 200 hours of coaching, supervision, coach training, one-on-one coaching with clients. I mean, it has been a really, really rigorous program. And I'm, I'm very proud that um, 18 months later, I'm about to complete it. Amazing. Congratulations on that. That's so exciting. Thank you. So, well, during our, our, our conversation, you spoke a lot about Retail Ready. So tell us about Retail Ready and how um, someone can participate. Yeah, thank you for asking. Retail sure. Ready is our signature program. It is the only way that I work with clients. My team and I work with clients. And it's for food, beverage, and taxable grocery brands who want to understand the behind the scenes of wholesale. So just like we talked about, how do I land on those retail shelves, whether they're digital or physical shelves? Mm-hmm. And how do I create a sales and marketing plan so that I sell through once I actually get there? <laughs> so we do that inside of our program that has its curriculum-based, coaching-based, and community-based. So all those things come together to create this, this really robust program that gives tools and support to implement the learning. So like I said, I've been teaching Retail Ready for about six years. We've mm-hmm. had close to 1,500 brands go through wow. Retail Ready, which Amazing. I'm, again, so, so Yay. proud of. It's grown to... <laughs> It's grown so much larger than I ever imagined back when, you know, my first cohort of like six people. (laughs) Um, And the very, the thing that's really special about Retail Ready is that we've got the buyer side from me. And then one of my colleagues, Charlie Birkinshaw, he is the founder of Element Shrub, a package ready to drink and concentrate beverage line. So he joined my team over two years ago to provide that producer perspective inside of Retail Ready as well. So together, I feel like we, we really are that full package in providing all of the resources that that brands need to to succeed in wholesale. I love that. I love that. So tell tell us how tell everyone how that we can um, reach out to you and how can we how can we find yeah. you and, and participate in the program. Yes. Okay. So I am most active on Instagram. So if you are listening to this episode, I invite you to <laughs> screenshot this. It would actually be really fun yeah. if you tagged Janaba and I uh, in your in your stories as you're listening. That would be really fun. I'm at It's Ali Ball or send me a DM. I love I love following food businesses. So send me a DM. I'll follow you back and kind of scope out your brand behind the scenes. Great. And once you're ready to learn more about Retail Ready, I've got two two places to go. First off, we have a wait list. Um, it's just at alleyball.com slash waitlist. And we always have a quick start option. So while we do some live launches and like live cohorts throughout the year, we always have the option for people to put your name on the waitlist. On that confirmation page, you'll get the option to like quick start into retail ready. So if you're like listening to this podcast and you're like, I have to start right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right now, Hallie, go to that list page and find that quick start option. And then the second one is I have a tool that I'll give you guys. It's totally free. It's called my 100 buyer knows download. And it is 100 reasons why buyers say no to your product line and my steps for turning that no into a yes. So that's totally free. And it's just at alleyball.com slash 100. 
Thank you so much. So we will definitely link up with that in the show notes. That's amazing. So Ali Ball, thank you so much for being a part of our one of our first uh, Food Means Business podcast episodes. I truly appreciate it. And I look forward to getting to know you better. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And congratulations on the podcast launch. Thank you. Thank you. This episode is supported by Retail Ready, our course, coaching, and community for packaged products brands who want to land on more wholesale shelves and have high sales once you're there. You are in luck. We are inviting you to jumpstart your enrollment and join us today. No wait list, no watching the educational masterclass, no sales call required. If you know you need the support in building systems for sustainable success, plus a community to hold you accountable and expert tailored advice from me and my team, consider this your official invite. Click through to the information and enrollment page linked in our show notes, read through our robust FAQs to ensure that you are the right fit and join us in a matter of minutes. I'll see you soon inside of Retail Ready. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Let us know what you thought of this episode and Allie's buyer stories in the Food Business Facebook group linked in the show notes. You can also send Allie a DM through her Instagram account. It's Allie Ball. Find our 100 Buyer Nose workbook, plus more about Janaba and Hudson Kitchen in our full show notes, linked with the episode. Thanks for listening to Food Biz Whiz. If you're enjoying this podcast and the tools it gives you for growing your packaged product business, please subscribe so you never miss an episode. From one small business owner to another, I am deeply grateful for your support of this podcast, and I appreciate it when you share it with your fellow food founders, share it on social media, or leave me a review on your listening platform. Ready for more? Find out how we can work together at foodbizwiz.com. I'll see you right back here next week.